0: Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed him money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer, he asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home.
1: Good morning. morning. I want to give you a chance to greet each other. Many of you know each other already. Um, but uh, stand up, if you will, again, and, uh, and greet other people and, and ask them this question, among other questions, what are you, what are you doing for Labor Day? What, how are you celebrating the holiday? Enough friendliness for this morning. It's my turn. I do want to thank the Hoadley family singers for uh, leading us this morning. That was nice to see. You know, you can tell a lot about uh, somebody by what they uh, choose to talk about. I have a friend who talks about sports all the time. You may think I'm talking about myself, but no, this guy talks about sports, sports more than I do. He knows more about sports than I do. He can regale me for hours on the spin rate of Aaron Nola's curveball or Carson Wentz's third down efficiency. Um, now I know he's gone through some tough stuff in his life, and there have been times when I try to, to, to Get into that to, to allow him to talk to me about his his struggles, and he kind of said, "Well, yeah, it's been pretty brutal, but you know, it's really brutal." Ben Simmons jump shot. <laughs> People talk about what's important to them. As I was thinking about this, I thought also of my father. I was out with him uh, two weeks ago in Colorado Springs. Uh, for his ninetieth birthday party, and um, he, uh, Dad was trained as a journalist. He he's worked as a magazine editor and uh, interviewer for many years. He has that knack of, of conversing with people about what they're interested in and finding out what what moves them and getting them to talk about it. He's done it all our lives. I, I remember bringing friends over to the house. And before you know it, dad would be in a conversation with them talking about you know chemistry or something. You know, what are you studying in school? Well, and dad knows nothing about chemistry. But he'd wind up saying, you know, yeah, those covalent bonds are pretty interesting, aren't they? And, yeah, uh, OK, sure. Uh, actually, yeah, he lives in a in a retirement home there in Colorado Springs, near where my brother lives, and um, is making a lot of friends. They have a little newspaper there, and he writes for the newspaper, interviewing residents of of that home. and uh, And he's always calling me and saying, "Yeah, I talked to a guy who was a fighter pilot, and somebody else was uh, an inventor or something, and whatever." He's he, he is very interested in what other people are interested in. So we're. Finishing up a series on Jesus and ha- what Jesus taught and specifically the stories he told. And we see these same two things at work in, in Jesus' teaching. Uh, that he, he, There were things that he cared about and talked about all the time. And there were other things where he knew that his listeners were really interested in these things. And so he chose to talk about those. There are scholars who don't have anything better to do but to count the subjects that Jesus talked about and and to kind of score them. And so they've determined the top two subjects that Jesus talked about. And so what was number one? Survey says the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a lot already, if you've been coming this summer uh, to and, and listening about the parables. So many about these stories Jesus told start with: the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And he tells these stories that kind of boggle our minds. Uh, that sometimes there are easy lessons to learn, but sometimes it's they're kind of weird. And it's 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 not an, an easy fact about the kingdom. It's sort of a a value. It's a a priority. It's a way of life. It's the way people interact. It's something he kept telling these stories to describe this indescribable thing. What happens when God is fully in control? Now, as we think about the kingdom of God, and we'll be talking more about it today, there's one main idea that that we need to keep in mind that Jesus kept, kept coming back to. And that is that it is future, but it's also present. It is something ahead of us. It is something that we look forward to um, after our death uh, in heaven. It is out there somewhere, but it's also in here. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we get that dual sense of it, earth and heaven together. Uh, with that. Um, on another occasion, Jesus said to his d- disciples, the kingdom of God is in you. And that the word in is very important there because it, it can mean, as many people take it, it's inside of you individually uh, that, that you can experience and live out the kingdom of God in your life, but it can also be in your group. Uh, the kingdom of God is in this group of disciples that Jesus was talking to. It is in this church in Mount Laurel. Uh, It is within us as we put into practice the ways and attitudes of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here now. It is also something that we look to for the future. And so that becomes especially important when we look at the second most important topic that Jesus talked about. And that is, survey says, money. And this, I don't know that Jesus was so passionate about money. In fact, I kind of think he wasn't, uh, but he knew that people were. He knew that we, in all times of history, have been concerned about what we have and what other people have and how we get what we have and what we do with it and how we spend it. Money is, is very important to us. So today, we're going to look at four short parables, and I emphasize they're short, uh, about um, Uh, About money, about wealth, about riches, about rich and poor people, and what we can learn about the kingdom of God through these money parables. So the first one is is a pretty simple one. It's it's often called the parable of the rich fool. And uh, so, uh, actually, uh, so a guy had he was a farmer. He had lots of lands, and he had a he had a, a a particularly bountiful harvest. Uh, this is a good problem to have. The, his, the grain was coming in. He had more than he knew what to do with. And, and so actually before this, uh, this verse, he says, the gra- um, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is the scripture on the screen, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Pause here for a moment. He's retiring, right? He's he's gotten the big payday. He's got the big harvest. He has more than enough stuff. What is he going to do with this? And and you might think, okay, what could he do with this? He um, He could look for people who need food and give it to them. No, he doesn't do that. He could throw a big party for everyone in the town and and supply the food for the party. No, he doesn't do that. He goes to the expense of tearing down his barns and building bigger barns so that he can store all of this and then retire. He doesn't have to work a day for the rest of his life. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He's got it made. And... Well, before we judge him too harshly, consider what you might do in that situation. Consider what I might do in that situation. You get the big payday, and of course, okay, store it away. That's only the responsible thing, and then you can take it easy. You can retire on your your good fortune. But, then God speaks. Let's see the next part of the scripture here. God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with everyone who, and this is is Jesus saying at the end of this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Our lives have an expiration date. Our wealth has an expiration date. There is a moment ahead. It may be 50 years from now. It may be 50 days from now. It may be 50 minutes from now. But this life will be over for us, and our goods, our fortune, will not be as important to us. I want to tell you about an activity I did this summer, and, and uh, bear with me on this, because at first you won't say see what this has to do with anything. Um, but I have, a, I have a crazy group of friends, and this summer we were doing things that were particularly crazy. Um, uh, we had a scavenger hunt over the, uh, over the July 4th uh, weekend. And we were given a list. There's one guy who who led this thing, and he's particularly crazy. uh, Created a list of 320 things that we needed to find. Now we weren't actually well, we were finding the objects, but we weren't gathering them. We were taking pictures of them with our phones. With our team, we had two teams, and we had our team name or, or or initials on a piece of paper and that we'd put in the foreground, so we weren't just downloading pictures from the internet, that we actually had to find the object, take the picture, send it in, in order to get the points that we needed for that thing. And there were some amazing things, that, you know, and, and fun things, and and road trips that we took, so, uh, we needed a picture of a team member in fr- uh, who would go down to Margate and have a picture in front of Lucy the Elephant in Margate, and uh, there was a comic book store in Red Bank, New Jersey, we needed to go to. And we needed a picture of a team member eating a hamburger at White Castle. Um, so stuff like that. But then objects and all sorts of objects, some ordinary things and some, some weird things. And, and the, the leader had a particular passion for obsolete things, for things that were out of fashion that we might not be able to find anymore. So there was a, a, a Nokia flip phone. Um, I had one of those 10 years ago. You did too, right? Um, and, 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 well, probably 20 years ago for you. But I kept mine for a long time, and I never throw anything out. So I was sure I had this. We had a, a team meeting, and I said, oh, I, I, I got that, I'm sure. I'll, let me just go through my stuff, and so I went back to my apartment and just started, you know, throwing. my apartment was messy to begin with, it was a disaster after this, because I was just throwing everything, where is that phone, I never throw anything out, it's got to be here, and I couldn't find it, at some point, apparently, I had, I had thrown it out. Uh, another thing uh, that we needed to find uh, was a, um, uh, a, a CD by the singer Debbie Gibson called Out of the Blue. Now, for any of you who don't know, back in the 80s, uh, Debbie Gibson was a pop singer who had certain fame for about a week and a half. (laughs) And I liked her, and I think I bought that CD. And so I said, I've got that, because I have a huge CD collection that I never listen to, and I never throw anything out, and so I'm tearing through in my apartment. Where is that CD? could not find it. So apparently, this was so useless to me that I had thrown it out. Now, at one point, I had paid 15 bucks for that. But then, at some point, it became worthless to me. Trash. And so, I, I couldn't find it. I actually, there were a number of things still on my list. Uh, I went to the Goodwill outlet store. Uh, there's one near me in, in Belmar. And um, you may not know that Goodwill has outlet stores, but they do. And these, this is where things that aren't good enough to sell in the Goodwill store, they have these here, seriously. And they have tables and tables of stuff there, not sorted out. Not, they, a, they just put it there. And you walk through there, and it's an, it's an amazing testament to obsolescence. It, it is So you see uh, old Nintendo game uh, cartridges and you see Jane Fonda workout tapes and you see all manner of clothing that's completely out of date. And, and the one thing I was looking for was a rotary phone, a rotary phone. And you remember these. Well... I found it there, and uh, Pandemic Outbreak is the name of my team, and there's a little <laughs> note, P-O, in front of it. I uh, I bought it. I figured it would be nothing, but they actually charge by weight there, so, and this is a huge honking thing, so I paid six bucks for this thing <laughs> to take it home, to take the picture, and then it, I, I kind of, I paid six bucks for it, so it was on my desk for like, Two days, and then I said, "I will never use this in my life. It's going to clutter up my apartment even further," and so I threw it out. What are things worth? What are things worth? This this was a teaching moment for me. This whole scavenger hunt. What are things worth? That you know, maybe you win. And actually, our team won. We got 300 of the 320 things. It was an amazing uh, event. But, um, it, you know, it, there is not lasting value in so much of those things. But what of what you have now? What's the lasting value in that? And one of the things that Jesus tells us in this parable of the rich fool, he was piling up his stuff and he was building a bigger place to put all his stuff, and it wasn't worth anything. Because he was coming to his expiration date. He was coming to that moment where there was a different kind of wealth required. I thought about, uh, you know, just totally made up this story. Imagine that you are in, the, in Atlanta in, uh, in 1864. And you, uh, you win the lottery. You win a million dollars in the lottery. You are rich. You can take it easy forever. Your life is totally great now. You are a millionaire, and they pay out your your payout in Confederate money. Yay, you are rich. Confederate money, million dollars. Well, a year later, the Confederacy dissolves. That money is worthless, not worth the paper it's printed on. That's what we're dealing with. We gather our resources, our finances, our fortunes, but there's a different kind of currency that we need for the life to come. We need to be rich toward God. What does that mean? That's what we'll be looking at in some other parables now. Moving to the next one. It's a parable I call turnabout. You have heard this before, perhaps. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the next, uh, the, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, but Lazarus received bad things, and now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Uh, There are a few more lines after that, but we're going to stop there uh the uh, first of all, do not get uh, thrown off by this picture of heaven. Uh, I don't think Jesus was teaching about heaven, so there's no particular geography that you need to memorize here about heaven. This was a common understanding, sort of like when we see a cartoon of a cloud and a gate and St. Peter with a key in front of it, you know, you've seen those cartoons. That's not really what heaven is like. That's an idea that people have about heaven. They had a similar idea back then. It involved Abraham there, and, and the good people would go to be at Abraham's side, and the bad people would be in the place of torment there. And that's the picture that we see there. Uh, what's interesting to me is that the, in the story, we're not told anything particular that the rich man did wrong to deserve punishment in in the afterlife. Nor are we told anything that the poor man did right to deserve reward in the afterlife. Now, we might assume that the rich man showed neglect of the poor man's needs, that he walked right past him and didn't care, that he was selfish, we might assume that might be correct in that. We might assume that the poor man trusted God. In fact, this assumption is made often throughout the Old Testament. We find it in the Psalms. We find it in the Minor Prophets, where the, the poor are exalted as righteous and are often promised, you will get the reward of your righteousness in the next life. Be patient, because there will be a turnabout. The rich people who have gained riches through corruption, they will be punished in the afterlife, and so be patient, trust God, because in the next world, things will flip, there will be a turnabout, and this is in that mode there, this turnabout, the rich man and Lazarus. But digging into this a little bit more, um, it drove me to the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew and in Luke, has a series of uh, blessed are statements. And the first one in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, In Luke, it's different. In Luke, he says, blessed are the poor. Not the poor in spirit. It's not an attitude, but it's it's a status. It's blessed are the poor. So why are the poor blessed? I have the feeling that poor and poor in spirit go together here. That there is a statement here that when you're poor, you are humble and you... You do not trust yourself to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know that you need to trust God for whatever you have. When you're poor, you pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because you know that you don't have it in your cupboard. It's the opposite for the rich. Whether they've done anything wrong or not, they have enough to trust in their own fortune. They go to the cupboard, and the food is there. They don't have to worry about where their next meal is coming from or how they're going to afford this vacation or how they're going to pay this bill. They can rely on themselves. They have insurance, so they don't have to worry that a hurricane is bearing down on them. They have a savings account that they can tap that. So they don't have to trust God for their daily lives. Uh, you may be feeling a little uncomfortable right now because you, like me, have savings accounts. You have insurance. I'm not saying these are bad things, but I'm saying that they're dangerous because they allow us to imagine that we don't need God's help to get through life. The poor have the advantage of developing a trusting relationship with God. It is hard for a rich person to get into heaven, says Jesus. And his disciples say, really? How how can that be? And he says, it's not impossible. With God, all things are possible. But it's difficult for a rich man to get to that point where he puts his own self-sufficiency down enough to trust God to provide for him. That's a struggle we all face. And if I, I realize that we're, I'm talking to a lot of people, and some of you have a lot of stuff, and some of you don't. And I'm not making a value judgment on that. I'm just saying that we all need to seek out ways to trust God. And for some of us, it's harder than others because of what we have. So the question that I offer, why are the poor blessed? Because they get to trust God. And so can we develop that trust in our lives with money and with other things in life? My assumption then is that the poor man winds up in the God side of heaven or of the afterlife because he had learned to trust God. He had developed a trusting relationship with God and the rich man didn't. We're going to move on to the third parable in this series. Um, Again, it's it's a familiar one and we've used it a lot here at HOPE. Uh, again, it will be like a, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to other two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's keep going. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went, out, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Uh, we're going to stop there on the screen, but the, as you know, I think, the story goes on uh, to each one of them, when the, when the master returned... Each one of them came back, and the one who got five bags of gold said, hey, I've got five more bags of gold, and, and he was praised, and the guy with two bags, i got two more bags, he was praised, the guy with the one bag, here, I've got your bag of gold. It's a little bit dusty, but uh, I buried it in the ground because I knew you're a tough guy. I didn't want to lose your money. I didn't want you yelling at me, and he, well, the, he yelled at him anyway. <laughs> you should have put it in the bank. You would have at least gotten interest on that but no you were afraid you didn't take a chance you didn't let those resources grow now this parable and um i think i have another slide by the way that i'm not going to i'm that that linguistic slide uh we're not going to worry about that um the um the the uh the word the, the the word for money that's translated bags of gold is uh talents and so many people have have uh applied this in in terms of our talents, that your abilities, you should invest. You should do things with your abilities. This is correct. I've preached this myself. This is absolutely true, that whatever you can do, those personal resources that you have, you should invest and please God by the bounty that comes from you investing your abilities. But it's a parable about money. And so, I think it fits with money, too. That God has given you certain resources. He's given you all sorts of resources. That he's given you a home. He's given you a car. He's given you connections. He's given you a job. He's given you a bank account. All of this, God has given you, and these could be considered those bags of gold that these servants get. How are you investing them to bring about Growth to, to make more but, it's, but we know from the previous parables it's not just more here it's not just getting rich here beware of those, those prosperity preachers who use this parable to say you need to get rich and that's how you're going to glorify God no These parables together tell us that that's not the way it works, that riches in this world are not going to cut it. They have an expiration date. We're looking for riches in the next life. We're looking how to be rich toward God. What is that currency in the kingdom that we can invest in? We have similar questions coming from our fourth and final parable of the morning, which uh, Steve read for us earlier. It's a strange parable, Uh, And uh, I I want to go back through it again. So, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Hmm. What was there? Um. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450 Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800 And the next, oh, is that, a, uh, um, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus told stories that were surprising, and a lot of people get befuddled with this parable because if this guy was cheating his master, then then why would the master admire him? Why would he commend him? Um, and there are various uh, interpretations that I've read. And uh, so one was that it was his own, you know, uh, um, th- that a manager like that would be adding a percentage to each bill and he was just removing that. So it was essentially his own uh, wealth that he was he was giving back in order to make friends for the future. I'm not sure that that's the, the right way to see this. Because Jesus often told surprising parables where people respond exactly the way you think they would not respond. And so I'm not that troubled. What I want to get to is the main point here. This idea of making friends for the future. You're fired from your current job. How do you make friends for the future? I identify with this because I left a job last November. Um, and it was, I, I wasn't fired, I, I left, uh, I was on good terms with them, it was just, God was leading me to go. Um, I put in my two weeks notice, and in those final two weeks, I was working hard to make sure that everything was, was, uh, was prepared for my departure, that they wouldn't suffer uh, there, and that they could carry on, and so I, I, did, I did good work for them. I was not cheating them at all. Uh, But at some point in that period, I realized there are a lot of people that I've done business with at this job for the last four years that I want to keep in touch with. Because if I go into freelance writing or consulting, I will want to contact them. Not in any kind of cheating my company way, but just to build my own business. Uh, uh, I want to have their email addresses. And all their email addresses are in computer on my desk which is going to stay on my desk when I leave. It's a company computer. So I stayed late one night and took a thumb drive and copied those email addresses of people that I had made relationships with that wanted to continue those relationships. I don't think there was anything illegal or unethical in that. Please, and I know this is on tape, so you you could come after me (laughs) if, uh, if there was. Uh, I thought it was just a shrewd way of making friends for myself for my post-employment life. Well, that's what this guy did. And we can talk about how he did it and what he did and all of that, but he was making friends for the time when he would be no longer employed in his current job. Well, here's our expiration date. We have a severance day. We don't know when it is. We're living in this world now. We are working at, at being human now. But at some point that'll be over. That employment will cease. And how are we making friends for the next life? How are you investing your resources, that which you have now, but will which won't be worth anything in the new currency? How are you investing I um. I told you I was with my dad uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, and being there with him and seeing his friends in this home, one of the things I never uh, uh, anticipated was about every month he calls me and says, "Yeah, remember Bob who you met? Well, he died. And I remember Shirley? Uh, yeah, she's she's about to go," and. I mean, when you're in a, in a home and your friends are also 90 years old and so, you lose your friends. Life is temporary. Maybe some of you, I know some of you have had this experience where a loved one is given a diagnosis and you have a year to live. What do you do in that year? How does that change your perspective? Well, that's the kind of perspective that Jesus is calling us to. See this life as temporary. See that it is going to end. Do what you can do with all that you have now to build that life for the future. When we get to heaven, I guarantee you, God is not going to have your balance sheet in front of him. He's not going to say, "Wow, you really built that business well. You tripled your earnings. Nice job." Oh, you flipped that house, man. That was great. You bought a house for 100 grand and you sold it for 300 grand. That nice job on that. You made a lot of money. He's not going to say that. What he might say is, "You know, look at those kids over there. <laughs> you used your minivan to drive them to vacation Bible school. And they're here because of you. You know those, those people over there, you opened your home to a Bible study. And they started coming week after week, and they got to know me because of your home. Yay! They're here because of you. Those kids playing basketball out back. They connected with Urban Promise. You donated to Urban Promise regularly. And they were able to do programs that got those kids to know me. Remember those people? Your neighbors. You talk to them, you use your relationships to build relationships with me, God says. This is the currency that will matter in the kingdom. When our money is irrelevant. What can we do? How can we use our resources. All our resources. That are temporal. That are in this life. To make a difference. In the world to come. Let's stand for the closing prayer. Lord there are tough questions here tonight. Or today. And. uh, And. We ask that you would keep asking us these tough questions. You're good at that. You're good at nagging us with the things that we really need to think about, even though we don't want to. And uh, so we ask that you would uh, keep our priorities uh, centered, keep our priorities uh, pleasing to you. Uh, Help us sort through all the stuff that we have to sort through in our modern world. I thank you so much for this congregation, for Hope Church, for the people who are here today and those who aren't, uh, for, for the people who have given uh, of their time and of their money and of their resources to, to make a difference in this community, both now and in your future, uh, in your coming kingdom. Uh, we bless you. Go with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great weekend.